Well, we're in week two of our series Lost, and uh, last week uh, Kristen uh, dealt with a reckless shepherd and a careless woman. Um, this week it's an indulgent father, a wasteful son, uh, and a chip off the old block with a chip on both shoulders. But I think, um, leaving the labels aside for a second, uh, the prodigal son, as a, as a parable, is cursed with a label that no one really knows the meaning of. What does, what does prodigal actually mean? One of the reasons I married Kristen is that her family has better stories, by which I mean funnier uh, stories. One of the family legends tells of a time when her uncle uh, had returned home to live with her grandparents, his parents. Now, Kristen's grandfather was known in the family for, for two things. Uh, his deep and his sincere faith, uh, and his tendency to misplace words from time to time. Uh, so one of the fa- <laughs> so uh, one evening, her, her uncle comes home uh, late after both parents uh, had gone to bed, and at, and at breakfast next morning, her grandfather uh, said, as, as as scripture and parental observation kind of collided, he said to him, well, I see our prostitute son has returned. (laughs) As I said, prodigal is one of those words that no one really knows the meaning of. We don't use it in sentences every day, and it's never used in parable. not a part of this parable. The truth is the son is only ever described by the father as lost or dead, which amounts to the same thing. He's lost. And as we go through this parable tonight, we'll discover that uh, he's maybe not the only one. So let's pray. Father God, as we uh, spend time in this um, passage's parable, which is familiar for many, uh, one of those one of those parables that um, has, has even really passed into into common language in our culture. We pray that it, its familiarity would not prevent us from encountering you and your spirit and what you might say to each one of us really personally. And so we ask that in the name of Jesus, you would reach deep into our hearts, our souls, our spirits, that we would be that we would meet you in this time and ask it in your name. Amen. Well, one of the things about this uh, last season that I think we've all experienced to some level, and I'm going to have you just share a little bit about this at your tables in a second, is all of us, I think, have experienced loss of some kind. Now, in my case, in the first lockdown, it wasn't so much a loss as it was a gain, uh, but let's call it a loss of health and a gain of weight. Uh, And sports events have have been put off. Theatre performances that kids have prepared for not happened. uh, And other things that, you know, perhaps have hit us even harder uh, the poorer who we are. So in this moment, we're just going to take a moment to to capture maybe one of those things. And and maybe it'll be something that for you is a bit trivial, and maybe it'll be something that's a little less trivial. Uh, But however you frame it, what have you lost 
what's one thing you've lost uh, in this past season? And you can be actual or metaphorical uh, because this parable does as well. Take a moment and take this. Sounds like it's still pretty fresh. One thing I didn't lose as much during lockdown was my keys. Because I lose them three or four times a day, so I didn't lose my keys as much. But then when we were allowed to drive again, I found that I really lost them. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's uh, kick off with uh, this young man and, and the, the finding and losing of himself that this story uh, tells us. It, I wonder how it is that this young man uh, loses himself. Well, it starts with a scandal in, in verse 12, uh, where the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property uh, between them. Uh, I don't know if mum's online tonight. Um, it's always a risk uh, <laughs> that she is. Um, but it may be that in our family, uh, one of the things that happens is, is that stickers are going on items in the house, which is kind of a little bit like this whole process in what it suggests. We're thinking of a time when you're not here. And this is what the son's action is like. It's really an affront to his father, because his request for part of his inheritance now is, is really out of line, almost the equivalent of wishing that his father was already dead. And the son could have expected a share of the estate, as the younger son it would have been a, a smaller uh, share, 
but only upon his father's death. So in a way he's saying, I wish you were dead, which some of us who are parents have, have heard, some of us who are children have said. But nothing actually compels the father to grant this request. He's not under any obligation to do so. And so there's a sense in which this is an exuberant kind of response, an indulgent uh, response. And it's not a case of just going to the bank and withdrawing half of the estate. Because in this family, certainly, and, and in many others like it, most of the family inheritance was, was locked up in land and in stock and livestock. So some of this will have certainly been sold. The father, in a sense, is, is selling off the future security uh, that the land offers. And the son, in some sense, is trying to, I guess, trying to find himself, but is risking this loss of, of parental of relationship, or family relationship. It's like he looks to find himself in this, in this material independence, charting his course away from family relationships. But it's the beginning of him losing his way. As he, as he severs his connection to the community life of his family and embraces, I guess, the lure of instant wealth <coughs> and, and freedom, I guess, that this buys him. We're told in verse 13, which kind of makes it all the worse, that it's not like he's taking this in here and so he can set up a small business or something, uh, you know, make a start for himself or perhaps put a deposit down on the house. No, no. He squanders it in wild uh, living, which I guess starts perhaps as a desire for freedom, but begins to express itself in the, in the pursuit of pleasure. The, the son is losing himself as he, as he uses people and experiences to push away the more demanding questions of life. And, and then in verse 14, his choices kind of collapse uh, in front of him. As famine hits the land, and he has nothing to fall back on. And there's an irony here. The son of a landowner is forced into life as a laborer where even the food offered to pigs seems attractive. And if you know anything about Jews and pigs, it's never a good thing to be compared to a pig. In a deeper sense, as these, this passage unfolds, we're, we're being led through these stages of the son losing himself. His his disintegration, his disintegration, literally, if you like. A, a disconnection from family, from, from his family life. And, and then a disconnection from, from his moral life. Those, those the standards that have guided him to this point. A, a real disconnection from his social position and social and economic status. And even a disconnection uh, from his faith. And the son's life if you like, is sort of peeled away from him in this story. And in this, I guess in this quest to find himself, he's actually losing himself piece by piece 
by peace. What's missing for you today? What's gone missing for you? What has been lost? Maybe another way to, to ask this question is, what do you long to regain? Take a moment, whether you've got your journal or you're taking notes on your phone or you just want to sit and ponder these questions. But at the end, this is not so much a story uh, about a, a lost son as it is about the kind of father that we find in this parable. Uh, um, some of you will know of the British writer uh, Adrian Plass. Anyone heard of Adrian Plass? Yeah, he writes these satirical, uh, fictional, well, I think they're probably based on fact from my reading of, of how Christians relate to each other. It's quite interesting. Uh, and he's, he's written actually an alternative ending uh, to this parable, which I quite like. Uh, and I actually think the Pharisees uh, would probably quite like as well. It goes like this. But when he was still a long way off, his father seeth him and runneth to him. It's the King James Version. And falleth on his neck, and pulleth his hair, and smacketh his backside, <laughs> and clumpeth him on the air, and saith, Where the devil do you think you've been, scumbag? <laughs> and the prodigal replieth, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thine hired servants. The father saith, Too right, I'll make thee as one of my hired servants. Master duty, stop out and hear it. Master Dirty, stop out and hear any spending sneaky pick a prodigal. <laughs> I suppose thou believest that thou can thou can waltz back in here without as much as in thine by thine leave. And come me with thine grammatical speech. <laughs> Thinketh thou that this is a little house on the prairie? Or mayhap thou reckoneth that I was born yesterday yester I can't remember. Oh no, third assistant bog cleaner, unpaid, for thee, mine odorous ex-relative. Then the prodigal saith dismally unto him, Oh, right, right, fair enough. So uh, just to get it straight, there existeth no question of lots of nice presents, and instant forgiveness, and a large celebratory meal involving the fatted calf, or anything of that nature. In thy dreams, son, replieth the father, <laughs> The only gift thou art likely to see is the personalized lavatory brush which, with which thou shalt shortly be presented. I think the Pharisees, who are a part of Jesus' original audience in this passage, would have loved this ending, where people actually get what they deserve. Here's what actually happened. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. So what I find 
really compelling about this part of the story is unlike what Kristen shared with us last week where a sheep was missing and a coin was missing and there was an all-out search, this wasn't a search. Father was waiting, not searching. It's like, it's like the Father knows to wait. And when the moment comes, compassion moves the Father's heart rather than judgment. And yet significant to these, this story and the stories that Kristen covered last week, Jesus also wants us to, to get that repentance remains at the heart of grace. One is not a condition of the other, if you like. They go hand in hand. The son said to him in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, there is repentance here. There is a, a turning back and an acknowledgement of consequence. And the, the father's response is just recklessly gracious. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. This part of the parable, this parable of the lost son, he paints this beautiful picture of God's grace. It shows God's promise of this, of a genuine homecoming experience for all who make the journey back to Him. Wherever they've been, whatever they've done, they are welcome. This is what the parable is about. It's not the parable of the failed father whose poor parenting skills allowed the son to head off with more money than sense in the first place. Probably too long a title as well. It's not the parable of the bad son who came to his senses and earned his way back into his father's graces as if this is a, like a wisdom proverb or wisdom parable like an Aesop's fable. Yeah, where there's something to be learned here. Uh, it's kind of accepted as as wrote that the son got it wrong. The lesson that we're to learn is not a moral one at all. It's a lesson about the breadth of God's grace. This is a story of, of amazing grace and, and, and the simple truth that God is, is very good. Very good. Very kind. He loves us very much. And that His grace is beyond measure. This, this picture that we have of the Father here is a Father who's so generous, so gracious, as if we were to measure our parenting against him, we might suspect he's a little indulgent. That's the kind of Father uh, that's been the kind of grace that's on display. But we're also, I think, drawn to this conclusion that this parable is not about good people or bad people. 
It's about people, you and me, throwing ourselves into the arms of God. No one is, is too bad for God's grace. And yet no one is too good to earn it either. So our lives are like this dance of, of repentance and grace. Dance with God as we, as we turn our lives over to Him again and again and again. We who are lost and without. I know that I found myself in this season having to rethink what repentance might look like. Life is, is so out of rhythm. Things are so uh, unfamiliar in a sense that the rhythms of repentance have not come easily. I've never found it particularly helpful to do church as I sat and talked at the screen. Thanks for being here. Uh, uh, I don't mind talking to this group. It's, it's a part of this gathered experience that for me helps me to connect with what God is saying to me. So when I have this question of what might repentance look like for you in this season, if you haven't thought about it much, take a moment. What does repentance look like for you? Are there things that are coming to mind? Are there practices that you, you want to rediscover, relearn? Take a moment. So this parable, as we've discovered, is often called the, the parable of the prodigal son, or as we've renamed it, the parable of the lost son, which is often used as well. But the, the opening to this parable uh, actually helps us to see that the, even this is the wrong title. This is not what Jesus uh, had in mind. This is how the parable starts. There was once a man who had two sons. how the parable starts. Jesus always had both sons in view when he's telling this story. You see, the father had two sons. And to this point, we've only heard about the younger, but the older one in the field hears the music and dancing. He's got no idea that his younger brother has returned and no idea that his father has arranged a celebration. And so he has to call a servant over uh, to find out what's going on. In a sense, the parable has trapped us. This is a parable about two sons, not one. The lost one is not only the prodigal who returned home, the lost one is also the brother in the field. It's so easy for us to forget to count. There were two sons. 
Now, I think the older, the older brother should actually, uh, should actually have our sympathy. It's the slave who informs him that his brother has returned, as if he's no better than Prince Harry. <laughs> that his father has slaughtered the grain-fed calf. And that the father is celebrated because the younger son has re returned safely. But no one thought to tell him. Now it's really interesting if you read back um, a, a chapter. Because there's a story about a host who actually sent out invitations to his guests. No such invitations here for the older brother. And you can understand why he becomes, becomes angry. And the celebration is, is going on, but there's just no way he's going to show up. It's an interesting wrinkle in the story. Because in the stories that Kristen shared uh, with us, the parables that Kristen shared with us uh, last week, the sheep owner calls his friends and his neighbours to celebrate when the lost sheep is found. And the same thing happens with the woman when she finds a coin. It's party time. No one is called the old brother. And then at some later point, I don't know, is it five minutes? Is it an hour? The father realizes that his older son is missing. Probably begins to wonder whether everything's okay. Learns that he's angry. Verse 28 tells us, so his father went out and, and pleaded with him. Come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He's annoyed. Have you ever experienced a moment of sibling rivalry? Here it is. But hidden in this response is the attitude of the Pharisees who started this whole discussion that Jesus is having. And in one sense, a life that doesn't really doesn't really need grace because he has it all taken care of. He's a rule follower, a rule keeper. But this is the temptation to, to self-sufficiency. You see, the son is mad in his mind because all his effort has been overlooked by the grace of the father for his careless brother. And then the father speaks the words that I'm, I'm sure in his heart he longed to think that his son already knew. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, the oldest son is, is lost, even though he didn't go anywhere. And what's interesting here is that see, the father never saw the younger son, remember? The father just waits for him to return. It's the oldest son that needs seeking. And it's the oldest son that the father searches for goes to. See, the father doesn't cast the oldest son away. You know, there's plenty of stories in the Old Testament that kind of have this zero-sum economics when it comes to inheritances, right? Uh, you either get it all or you lose it all, right? Lots of stories like that. This, this, is, this is no Jacob I love, but Esau I hated kind of moment. Father calls the eldest son, son, and confirms his, his full place and his standing with the family. And all that remains to be seen is how the son will respond. It's one of those parables where we never get to see the response in the story because this is actually an invitation to those who are listening to Jesus, and it's up to them how they will write the ending. I sense for those of us that need grace because our life is so bad or our behavior is so bad, it's kind of easy to see the need for grace. But for those of us who are committed to life with God, it's sometimes easy to forget that everything that we have is because of his grace. Like we didn't actually start earning his grace one day. Like you didn't sort of reach a point of you know relative perfection in your Christianity where God started a bit like solar energy, you're actually now putting holiness back into the grid. <laughs> That's how good you are. His grace is new to each one of us every morning. His mercy is fresh to us every day. But I think it's easy to be an older sibling. When I speak as one, I know some of you here have that privileged status as well. Mm -hmm. Are you today an older sibling? A sibling who has become hardened to the grace of God. Lost. I think this parable you could just dredge insight from forever. It's one of those kinds of stories. So I think each of these sons, in their own way, have misunderstood the working of grace. The younger, I think, seeks to kind of bargain <laughs> or manipulate, maybe. Well, the, the elder just cannot let go of, of distorted expectations of brothers. What's really interesting is both are welcomed home. Both are affirmed as being part of the family. And I think, in essence, both of them call us to 
to reassess our own expectations, our own basis for a relationship with God. Now remember, the parable is a, is a part of the criticism Jesus is responding to at the beginning of Luke 15, which Kristen took us through last week. His table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. By the time we get to the end of this part of Jesus' address, what has started as a response to his critics now becomes an appeal to them. Yes, tax collectors and sinners and wayward sons are welcome to the grace of God. But also, yes, Pharisees and rule keepers and respectable sons and daughters all are lost and all can be found. Let's pray. Father God, as we find you in this story, a recklessly gracious God, might we also find ourselves. Might you also speak to us in our lostness. Whether we are younger sons or elder sons, Whether we are finding ways to lose ourselves. God, would you speak to us? Would you call to us? Would you run to us? I pray that we would know that there is nothing more important in this moment than that we are soft to your grace. Would you soften our hearts? Would you call us son? Call us daughter? Call us home? in the name of Jesus.